Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. Today we hear from two leading content executives about how they're using their experience of the pandemic to employ new strategies going forwards. Fremantle's CEO of International Jens Richter and Rob Wade, President of Alternative and Specials at Fox Entertainment in the US. Both of these interviews are part of the Coming Up Next series, a co-production between the University of York's Sign Programme and C21. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. Jens Richter believes nothing will be the same following the pandemic. Broadcasters will become more willing to take chances and fresh voices will find it easier to break through. He's also pressed his own reset button to consider the things that really matter, both personally and professionally. I caught up with him to find out what the future looks like beyond 2020. When we went into this, um, we didn't expect it to be this long lasting and this impactful. On the other hand, I must say it was an amazing, um, surprising, almost energizing process. You know, it's like not only us, all the companies we work with, everybody pulled their work into home offices, into remote. Um, We had a lot of shows in production, beginning of the year, in post-production. And it was critical to see, um, do we get those shows post-produced? I was like, and and how do the producers pull that off with, I don't know, um, actors doing the ADR, the narration, uh, whether it's special effects, um, whatever it was. And to my big surprise, everybody pulled it off. So let's say, for instance, the shows that were presented at the London screenings, the majority of them were still in production that time. All these shows are delivering now. Um, So that's kudos to the amazing producers and amazing creativity they put to work in making it happen. How has the pandemic changed the world, do you think? I mean, what what will happen beyond this? If you had to come up with a list of things that you think you'll be doing differently? We, we learn incredibly much about how we can trust our people, how we can all rem- work in a lot more flexible environment and make it happen. Um, I think work going back after COVID Work after COVID will not be the same anymore as before. I I totally believe that. Um, At the same time, the physical office is far from dead. You know, it's like people need people in conducting business, especially in a creative business. When, you know, you have, uh, you want to talk about the creative process and also when you talk about uh, with your clients, you know, there is a difference. And we see it now already in the first market that are, the first markets that are kind of opening up in terms of, Work life is a little bit more flexible now. Um, we have um, teams on the ground in many countries around the world, and work's more flexible now. Um, our people, our sales uh, managers, now go out and, and meet clients already again. You know, or we meet with producers again. Um, so I think that will be different. Um, I think in terms of production technology, we learn an awful lot. You know, like how to be smart, more flexible, new technologies. Um, we, we are all forced in, in, in doing it with a little bit more maybe nimble approach, you know, smaller teams um, and, and how, what can we learn from that going forward. The other thing really interesting is um, quick turnaround, you know, like when you think about news, you know, it's like and COVID and, um, and you look at local broadcasters, especially local platforms, how they followed um, all the new, um, the daily progress of what's happening. Um, and um, so the turnaround of stories is much faster. And I think we can also learn from that. As an example, for instance, in the German market, um, it was today, UFA announced um, our, so Fremantle Germany works under the label UFA. 
And um, there has been a huge scandal in the German market uh, on a company called Wirecard. So when you look into Financial Times, they were the ones who who wrote about that finance scandal the first already like three years ago. So it was a house of cards, a big top stock listed German company, finance service company, financial service company. It was all a house of cards and it collapsed. And uh, now as an example, Ufa said, okay, we want to do a movie from this, you know, and um, and we do it now and we're going to deliver this baby by beginning of the year. So it's like, even I think it even translates to drama, you know, that, the learnings and, and the awareness of the true stories now have to hit the market much faster because not only because we, we learned it and we can do it, it's also because our consumers, our audiences, they want a faster turnaround. Has that audience demand changed in terms of the sort of programming they might want to watch um, beyond the pandemic? We are in the midst of a big financial crisis, right? The biggest financial crisis in a long time. And in, turn, in terms of financial crisis, um, there's, there always has been a trend to escapism. You know, the blue sky that takes my mind, relieves my mind. You know, I can, you know, like uh, it's the end of the day and I can just escape, literally escape and not think too much. You know, it's like and, and when you talk to broadcasters or also, you know, like the big platforms, I spoke to one of the big platforms last night and they said, uh, well, romantic comedies. And I was like, really? You know, the ro- romantic comedy movies or comedies in general you know, or genre like horror, you know, it's like. Um, so shows where you literally can escape to. Um, the other thing is romantic comedy or comedy or horror. You might be able to shoot them in uh, remote locations. It's, it's not like the big drama that travels five territories around the world. So they are also friendly uh, to be shot potentially in with small teams in remote locations. So broadcasters and platforms, all of us also have to think in, in those kind of terms. What can we pull off now that we can deliver six, seven, eight? nine, 10 months from now. So we have to think about location, team size and all that as well. So you have, I think on, on one hand, you have this um, escapism. The other thing is nostalgia. You know, so if you have a big catalog of highly beloved um, 1970s, 1980s crime shows, characters, crime or comedies, you know, you, you can pull them out now. And we've seen quite some broadcasters who did that. Predominantly local broadcasters or local platforms put those nostalgia shows out for their very local audience because they have that more local access. And then on the on the other thing side of this is what you briefly mentioned with um, fake news, um, populism, um, and conspiracy theories. You know, it's like um, is Bill Gates behind COVID? I mean, it's like I read an article the other day. Twenty eight percent of Americans seem to believe that, um, and and that's pretty mind-blowing, right, those numbers. Um, And um, so I think, while on one hand, you have this appetite for pure entertainment that we love to satisfy, we love pure entertainment, we love to entertain people, that's what we're all here for. On the other hand, it's also, you know, to inform people. There's a real huge hunger in information. So when you look at, especially the first two months of um, lockdown in most territories around the world, most countries around the world, when you look at media consumption, you know, there was like a complete spike, um, especially with local broadcasters, because they were the ones who could serve the local news best. And the spike with news or any kind of reportage about what's going on, COVID-related, and the consumption was mind-blowing in all territories around the world. So there is this appetite 
And then, and then when coming back to the point of economic crisis, we are in the midst of an economic crisis. So there's people are afraid. Many people lose their jobs, right? Or, you know, really have to worry about how to make a living tomorrow. Um, and that has an impact. So again, they want to be informed. They want to know what's going on. Um, and, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Black Lives Matters spiked during COVID times, you know, because you're already in America, in the American market, you had a loss of millions and millions of jobs. So it's like, it's tough, right? And in, in certain communities, it's, it's even tougher. And, um, and then there is no big surprise that people go to the street, right? And, and, and big themes come out. And I think it's our, our obligation, it's our job as producers, as creatives to bring those stories to life and, and help the conversation. You know, when you look at from what we do at Fremantle, you know, it's like we're not doing it now. We're doing it. We try to do it all the time, constantly. So when you look at the shows that we launched, you know, during this year, on one hand, you have American Idol and America's Got Talent and game shows. We love to entertain you. On the other hand, you have shows like... Uh, La Jauria launched in, in Latin America and Spain with Amazon to crazy success, you know, and that is about uh, violence against women. Or the show I mentioned earlier, um, Enslaved, the, the History of Slavery with Sam Jackson, Afua Hirsch. That show is in the making since two and a half years. We are on board since two years, you know, it has nothing to do with demonstrations that went on a couple of weeks or a month ago. So it's like, it's, 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 it's on our mind. And, and um, or, you know, like Luca Guadagnino shows, you know, we are who we are. That is, that's, those are kids, it's youth, it's about gender, it's about sexuality, it's about color, um, diversity, um, and we believe those shows will spark a conversation. And uh, for instance, for We Are Who We Are, HBO, three days ago, launched a reel, like that trailer, a teaser. And when we looked at the response in social media, and it was predominantly young, and it was predominantly positive, and it was huge. So there is an audience out there that reacts, you know, if you keep the conversation going. And that's, that's a big part of what we do. And that's a big part of what we all should do. It seems that a, a pause button might have been pressed that's given us all time to consider not only the business we're in and the, the jobs that we have and, yeah. uh, you know, the space that we live in, but, but uh, to take a big moment to think more broadly about everything and lots of issues yeah. have come to the forefront in that in that time and maybe a reset has happened and it does feel in that moment that diversity has come very much to the forefront yeah. as an imperative now it, it has changed the sort of television that commissioners feel they need to make for sure how are you going to get more diverse how are we all going to get more diverse i think it's it's multiple approaches one is um, simply get involved in shows that tackle diversity and, and diversity for you know diversity is it's a huge topic right? It, it's, it's currently, it's very much Black Lives Matters. In, in some other territories, it might be immigration, it might be, you know, it's like, it's a very colorful topic. Um, and what we do is with all our producers around the world is to think about what are the diversity topics in Germany, in the UK, in France, you know, how can we pick them up? And how, how can we help telling those stories? I love the fact that there is more openness now with uh, the commissioners, and that's across platforms and broadcasters. You know, it's like when when we when we embarked um, our enslaved the history of slavery two years ago. You know, that's it's a big undertaking. The budget is north of two million dollars an episode. You know, Sam Jackson travels the world, and we go after this topic of you know like fifteen million 
of Africans about got shipped and 10% went down. And we, in each episode, we dive down to the boats and to sunken ships and tell their stories. Um, so when we started with it, it was like, sometimes, you know, we got a response like, do we need to tell this story by broadcasters? Literally, you know, now two years in and the show is ready to deliver um, in September, we, we meet a completely different market. So now it is the story to tell, right? Um, so it needs both. It needs, it needs the interest of creating the stories as well. It needs the interest of showing those stories because in most markets, um, there is uh, many broadcasts and platform that took it the safe route. Safe route meaning don't tackle controversial topics too much, right? Stay mainstream. That's the safe route. The market has changed. People are interested in these stories. And then as producers, it's about um, opening to young talent. You know, it's like, and, and so it's from opening to young talent, opening to the workforce to, to young talent. And that could be across all departments within our company, for instance. It can be from finance to creation to production, right? Um, and um, at the same time, um, also risking sometimes uh, the investment, right? You, you have to be part of it. So you have to put some money in it to tell these stories like Enslaved, to make them happen. And then being part of it to, in a certain way, also to create the market. So it, it's both, it's supply and demand. You know, some people have to start the supply side as well. Um, now, over the last two, three, four, five weeks, you know, there's so many platforms who clearly put a mark out there and saying, we want to invest into these stories that the market will change. And I think that effect will be long lasting. It's interesting that not only the subject matter may be changing, but also the structure of the business may be changing as well. And obviously the commercial model is changing too. And I think if anything has happened in lockdown, more people have been used to getting streamed content from yeah. the streamers. Yes. And yeah. what's commercial television's role? What's the streamer's role? And how do you see all that sort of balance uh, evolving over the next year or two? Clearly the, the COVID crisis with having people locked down at home, consuming more shows, clearly drove a lot of non-linear viewing. And we see that with the numbers, right? So it's like um, at the beginning, we saw a number spike with linear broadcasters, and that was very much triggered by news and, uh, and coverage of, of actual very current daily COVID messaging. Um, and then uh, parallel to it and overtaking that, we saw a spike in uh, a clear rise in non-linear consumption. So we see an acceleration in the market. How, how long-lasting and how impactful that acceleration will be is also, I, I believe, a little bit of a question of how long COVID will last. We love our behavior. We are victims to our behavior. You know, you see that the pubs open, people go to the pubs or the restaurants or to the beach. Well, they shouldn't, right? So it's, I don't know. People go back to what they used to do. On one hand, you have the state broadcasters, the BBCs, the ARDs, the France Televisions of this world, the PBSs of this world. I think they play a huge role in this current market, not only because they inform you about COVID, they inform you about all these social issues more probably than any other outlet. And that's their public function. And that's where they're, and, and they, I think they do a terrific job. In, in most territories around the world, they do a terrific job. And in Europe, we have a very strong history for these public state broadcasters. Um, the other thing is all these public state broadcasters now were also very smart in launching their nonlinear offerings. So when you have your content on or your show on the BBC or France Television, you know, like 
they launch their nonlinear, you know, and then whether at the end of the day it's called Britbox or Salto, you know, it's like, um, or Mediatek, you know, it's, it's all out there. And interesting enough, when you look into the local territories and you look at the consumption numbers, you see that their audiences now find the offering nonlinear as well. So they, the uptake, uh, the uptake on, on, on nonlinear, like BBC iPlayer, when you look at the nonlinear numbers, they're, they're pretty impressive these days, very impressive. And uh, when you look at those numbers in, 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 in Scandinavia, for instance, when you look at NRK's nonlinear numbers, for some shows, they're absolutely mind-blowing. The majority of the viewing happens non, non-linear. Um, so th- that's the state broadcasters. And then you have commercial broadcasters, and, and they're going through the t- same transition. In, in most territories, in most countries, you have your commercial broadcasters, and they, they all launched their nonlinear offering over the last five to two years. They all put a lot of money in there. Um, they all now commission quite a lot of programming for those platforms. And when you look at Germany at RTL, they launched TV now. Um, the majority of the dramas today commissioned by RTL will launch on their nonlinear service. So they really want to drive that. It's not so much for the linear anymore. Um, and you see that in other markets. You know, any, any show that gets commissioned in Scandinavia in almost all territories will, will be very much commissioned with a very strong view on, on nonlinear consumption. The advantage of both the public broadcasters and the commercial broadcasters is they know their markets inside out. They have the big brands, they have the talent, um, they have the very fast turnaround. Um, they can also play nice ball with, with other media outlets. So, you know, they can play ball with the, with the, with the yellow press, with the big newspapers. They, they know it inside out. And that's a big advantage they, they all have. The market to an extent will be cleared out a little bit. You know, like when you have lots of competing commercial broadcasters in some markets, there might be a little bit less. Or when you have lots of cable channel brands that are out there, um, I think they are pushed the hardest. You know, smaller cable channels that mainly live off um, library content. Because that kind of library content I can find on the Netflix or Amazon or HBO Max to do tomorrow as well. So that's, that's probably the most difficult to be in tomorrow. Um, and then at the same time, you have now more than ever choice with, with the global platforms. And um, there will be more coming. There will be more coming as well. So I think overall consumption will go up. And there will be more of a divide between focusing on local content versus the more global content. And the global platforms will try to get into that local business as well. So how well and to what extent can they do it? That's a big question. How's this affected you during this time? And um, what would you like to bring out of this personally that you would apply to the business? And what role do do we all have to play? And are you hopeful or pessimistic about what happens next? I'm a happy realist. You know, I, I tend to see the glass half full, but I'm, I tend also to look at the risk. Um, personally, you know, I have three kids. Um, I talk a lot with my three kids during these days. You know, it's like because on one hand, school is not happening to the extent it happened before. And is this all a big vacation or was, what is this? You know, the other thing is, I think we all know people that got ill. 
Um, and some people got really ill and really suffered. So it's, 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 it's a real challenge and it's a real illness that can hit you out there. So, and, and I think that for me personally, it's a kind of a reset in a way. You, you look at the world, you, you stop in, you, you look at the world, you explain it to your family, to your kids. You know, it's like world can be different. You know, sometimes I remind myself of stories that I heard from my parents or my grandparents. And I don't know, they told you stories of post-war Europe and, you know, and, you know, I grew up in it during a time when it just went up, 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 right? So, and, and now is the time for, it can be different, right? Um, and just to take that moment and discuss it with the people next to you and what that means. And, um, and life is more about more than just happy life and consumption. And I don't know, what's the next holiday destination? There's a lot more topics in life, as we all know. So I think it makes people think about themselves and where they are in, in, in life, in, it, in their stage of life. Um, I also believe that um, going forward, there's more flexibility in the way we work. And that opens up also the access to, when in our media business, you know, it, it opens the way, the way we think and we look at topics, right? I think we will tell different stories going forward and, and we look at stories in a different way and we will be more open to take some risk in telling new stories and giving new perspectives on life because there's a change in the way we live. So I think it's, it's, it's very clear that we are all a lot more curious now coming out of this and so will be our audiences. Creativity will get a push, I think. Um, in terms of storytelling, in terms of the way we produce, the way where we produce. I mean, when, when you saw, when you're just looking at how a lot of shows got produced over the last couple of months, you know, starting with, I don't know, game shows without audiences or talent shows without audiences. And, you know, producers on Monday had no idea how they would get their show on air on Thursday, you know, and they pulled it off. So there is a lot in motion now. And, um, and I think it will stay in motion. It's just too much of an impact. It's too long-lasting what we're living through. It's a real long-lasting experience, and that will show consequences in the way we work and think and entertain people. Jens Richter. Rob Wade is president of Alternative and Specials at Fox Entertainment in the US and is currently bidding to bring back big franchises like The Masked Singer, with regard to other development, he thinks shows you can put in the bubble in a safe state with a small crew will be the ones that get made. He also says that audiences in unscripted television are as important as extras in scripted shows because their reaction makes things work. And getting back to productions which include them will be important in the long term. The, the front of mine uh, questions at the moment are getting back to filming um, and filming in a way in which we can execute the shows properly. Um, it's a changing, movable feast of information. Um, I think there is a loss of different viewpoints on uh, what is the best way to move forward, both from a political and from a social point of view. Um, and, you know, navigating that as an industry is obviously um, very tricky and something that we focus on and honestly it changes on a daily basis about what what our plans are um, as new information comes in. The biggest show that we are trying to bring back on air at the moment is The Masked Singer and it's 
it's important to us from a network point of view because it's obviously our highest rated show and it's the highest rated show on network television. But it's also uh, produced by FAE, our studio. So it's very important for the revenue of that studio as well. And there's a huge amount of risk in making that show for a number of reasons. One is it has to be filmed in LA because there's so much talent required for it. Um, and when you're booking talent, talent is generally centered around LA. If I were to sort of say, oh, let's move to Atlanta or even let's do this in England, you know, or other places where there was less um, cases of, of COVID, then obviously it'd be impossible to book. Um, secondly, it's a, it's a very expensive show, so it, it, it creates a lot of risk. And as you know, uh, there is no insurance really uh, on, on these shows and there's no COVID insurance. Uh, so that's hugely problematic. And then finally, it's, it's a big production. So it requires a lot of crew members. So you've got something like 400, 450 staff members on that show. And again, just the volume of people means obviously there's a higher risk of, of, of someone getting infected. And um, that's problematic as well. Um, and also it's a very high profile show. So journalists, industry, unions, everyone have, has got their eyes on it. So it's under a huge amount of scrutiny. So all around, you know, if, if, if you had to choose a show to make at the moment, it would be a show that you could put in a bubble outside LA in a very safe, non, you know, country or state with very low cases with a very small crew. And that's going to be the show you want to make. So we're also eyeing up what we do with our specials, um, uh, the New Year's special, which we filmed in front of a million people in Times Square is obviously going to be problematic this year and we're trying to work out what we're going to do for that. And really anything that requires an audience um, is, is, needs to be looked at. Uh, I didn't mention that on Mars Singer as well, but that show is highly dependent on an audience, as I believe are all studio shows. Um, it's, I've had conversations with the um, LA County and, and, and the health offices and the CDC representatives there. And as we go into this filming, obviously scripted in, and is always considered as the kind of um, the business that everyone talks about when they're creating guidelines. And what I'm trying to do is, is, is make people understand that our audiences in unscripted television are as important as extras in a scripted show because they provide all the context, reaction, emotion that you, you need to understand as a viewer to, to make these shows really good. So um, that is something I'm very, very, very focused on at the moment and trying to solve that. What things are in your mind as, 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 as solutions? I mean, is, is it something as an ext extreme as a, as a vaccine or are there, way, are there ways forward that will allow you to get back into production soon? No, I don't, I don't think you have to have a vaccine. I think, uh, you know, I think that you have to start with the, the, the thing that all healthcare professionals are telling us now. And I'm not a scientist, I'm not a healthcare pro professional, so I listen to what they say. And that is, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, wash your hands. And I think, you know, testing, obviously we're doing a lot of testing, um, which 
which only goes so far. I think the problem with testing is it creates a false sense of security. You can never test a whole crew every day. It's going to be an impossibility. And that would be the only way that you'd be able to, you know, make testing a really foolproof way. Testing is, is definitely insurance, an important part of our strategy. But at the end of the day, if you test someone and get the results back in 48 hours or 72 hours, you, there are 48, 72 hours of, of blind there. So you need people to adhere to the very strict protocols we have in place. As I say, there are the three obvious ones, um, but then we are zoning uh, crews, uh, as few people as possible come into contact with each other. We have as few people on set as possible. Um, and and I feel like there's a very clear pathway forward. And, and I say this all the time. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I go to the supermarket and there are people working there. I go to gas stations. There are people going there. I go and pick up uh, food at, at takeaway restaurants and there's people working there. There are people that have been working throughout this pandemic and are in a successful way. Um, and in a safe way, most importantly. And I think the television industry just has to get that in their minds. Um, it's an incredibly important part of the, the Californian economy, and we need to figure out how to get back to work safely. And that is the number one priority is safety. Um, but as I said this at the very beginning of the pandemic. You know, as a, you know, obviously, as I said, I, I will work for a network and I work for a studio, but as a network executive, you would have seen that the networks have continued to provide programming throughout this pandemic. And they've done so through acquisitions, through some stuff they had on the shelf and through repeats. And that can continue for some time uh, for us at Fox. We have a number of shows on the shelf still. And as I said, through acquisitions and, and, um, and various different shows, we're going to be okay. Now, that's not the case for production companies. Production companies need to produce to get income, to survive. And that's something that I'm very aware of. And so, uh, you know, I see it as mission critical to keep people working. How has the pandemic changed the world, do you think, in terms of um, what audiences want to watch. Do you think they want this? Are they, are they desperate to get back to the same thing? Or, or, or has the appetite for something new arrived? I think audiences want to get back to the kind of program we were making pre-pandemic. I think that you can only live in a Zoom world for so long and you can only produce in a Zoom world for so long. It is very difficult to make the kind of entertainment shows that we make on broadcast, the kind of scale that people are used to um, just using this medium. And um, we had a huge amount of success. We were one, I think we were maybe one of the first networks in uh, maybe in the world to produce in, in COVID. We did a special, we did an iHeart concert of the charity event um, and you know, it did very well both from uh, in terms of raising money and it did very well in terms of ratings and it felt like the right thing to do at the time it felt like something the world needed it it, it, it we did it because we wanted to prove to people that you could produce we want to prove to people you could make new content and, and sort of 
arrive at some normality in the early weeks of this when people were really, really confused. And we wanted to show there was that hope. Um, and then there's been a lot of similarly produced things, not similar formats, but that have been very good in, in many cases. But I think at the end of the day, people want to get back to the types of shows uh, that they had before, because this is, it's a very limit, it's very limiting. That being said, there may be the drive away from audience shows, because literally you can't have audiences, but the drive away from audience shows in, in, in LA may lead to a hit in, as I said, a show that doesn't require celebrity involvement, doesn't require audiences, and can be filmed to a great scale under these conditions. But then again, I'm, I'm sitting here in LA, which is a very unique place. I'm speaking to my counterparts in France. They've just filmed Mars Singer with an audience. They've just filmed another show with an audience. You know, we really are fighting with one arm behind that back in, in, in LA in particular, which is ironic because obviously the, the center of the global pandemic at the moment just happens to be the center of uh, television. So that's where we are. Has your personal journey changed the way that you think about what you do? And, and are those around you feeling differently about their place in the entertainment landscape? It's reinforced a lot of beliefs of mine. I, I, I feel like entertainment television takes us back to a simpler time. You know, it's made us realise how good we had it. Um, you know, the last 20 years have been, un, you know, phenomenal time in unscripted television with amazing hits. Um, I think the fact that the news cycle is so on, creates so much noise these days, it's very difficult to create the urgency and loudness uh, that, that our early unscripted hits had when everyone was talking about Nick, Nasty Nick at the Big Brother house or Carrie Underwood winning American Idol or wh whichever story you want to choose, it's very difficult to break through now and certainly sustain. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like we need new hits. You know, it's, I, I really do. I have a huge amount of respect and love for the older hits, whether it be Dancing with the Stars or The Bachelor or Survivor. Um, you know, these are great TV shows and they deserve the audiences they get. I just wish we had new hits though, because that's what really gets me excited. Um, and, and, you know, we have to find a way as an industry to start to innovate more, I think, uh, if we want to survive, because there are new places for audiences to engage now, like TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook and, and less, and, and all of the stuff they're engaging with on those platforms is new and fresh. And it's not just young people, it's older people as well, because the, the older people are being introduced to it by the younger people. And unless we can create new hits uh, and, and fresh ideas, then the audience will migrate and engage in other places, whether it be gaming or, or, uh, or entertainment on these platforms. So, you know, that's my focus. And, and, and the pandemic has helped, you know, accelerate a lot of these issues. I mean, I think anyone who doesn't see that is, is denying something that's plainly obvious to me. I mean, it, it was funny. I remember in the, during the pandemic, 
you know, Saturday nights has always been a traditionally very low rating night. And then when I think it was like two thirds of the country was shut down, restaurants were shut, sports were shut, sports games were shut, everything was closed down. So you're talking about somewhere in the region of 230, 240 million people who are left inside, who are otherwise go. And I think the ratings went up and I think we started to see 0.6 and 0.7. So you're talking about an extra couple of million people, maybe not even that, maybe more like a million people watching these shows. And everyone's like, well, look at this, you know, people are locked in and the ratings are increases. And I was like, hold on a second. There's 250 million people stuck in their house and Senate. They can't do anything. They can't go out to dinner. They can't go to barbecues. They can't see their friends. They can't. And yet we are still only pulling in that many more people. Well, what are they doing? You know, and I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. And, uh, you know, how do we create urgencies and capture those audiences now? I feel like there is going to be um, an adjustment. But I worked at psycho uh, television which is obviously part of sony and so was quite close to the music in this music industry for many years um and had a lot of colleagues who were going through essentially the ginormous changes in the music industries around you know the, the late the first decade of the first uh, you know 2008 through to 2013 it was all changing and the music industry was really in turmoil. It didn't know what it was doing. It didn't know how to, you know, suddenly there was, you know, Napster and these streaming services and people were just leaving. What became super clear was that it was about the content. It was about, yes, yes, maybe you can sell albums, but you could sell singles, but you could still sell albums if they were really good as well. And slowly but surely, the business started to change and there was all kind of the value of that content and the value of touring and the value of merchandise and all these different things tied together. Um, and so, you know, that, that's a good example, by the way. So if you look at music, like it was always pretty simple. It was like the record label would say, okay, we're going to put up a load of money for you. And then we're going to take all the profits from your sales. Right. And then everything else you can worry about. But during that time, the record labels were like, well, hold on a second, we're, we're not going to make enough money out of, out of that. So they started to do the 360 deals, which were like, we're going to take money from your merch, we're going to take money from your, from your um, uh, touring as well, because we're not making enough out of selling, because you're not selling albums, you're selling singles, which is good, but we're still not seeing a return. So... So I think that's a really good metaphor for the, for the TV industry. I think moving forward, you know, the people who are putting up the money, like me, are going to have to find ways to earn money in a more fragmented television environment, perhaps where viewing is lower, ad revenue might get lower, et cetera. So we are going to have to look at the business side of that. But I still think it's going to be very profitable for everyone involved. You know, we just have to have a slight adjustment in how we look at these things. And I think if you believe in content, which I believe in content, we are going to, if you are making it something that's entertaining and something that's good, you are going to find ways to, um, to make money and you're going to find ways to get an audience. And, and so that's where you have to silence a lot of noise at the moment. And you have to try and focus on, on that, that one goal and realize we are in a time of change and adapt, adaptation. 
and realize that the winds will die down and the waves will die down. And as long as you're keeping that focus and you can keep that core piece of your business alive, you're going to be okay. You take a show, you take a, 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 any industry like streamer, you take a streamer, you take Peacock, Netflix, um, uh, HBO Max, or you, or you take a cable channel, or you take a network, or, or you take you know some de- some degree TikTok or the social media platforms are slightly different. They all live and die on their content as well. Like they may be media, they may look, you may look at well, those are streamers and they're different, but really when it comes down to it, people are going to come to places where the content's good. Rob Wade, that's all for today. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening.